you're across safe, I'll jam the throttle and follow you. to the Mad Max Minute, where it's time to abandon the war rig in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 106, which begins with the Dag saying goodbye to the Keeper of the Seeds, and it ends with Capable and Nux gazing longingly at each other one last time. Here to help us tear the engines off of this week is comic book Alex Robinson from the Star Wars Minute. Greeting humans. How's everyone doing today? We're doing great. How about you? Good. I'm excited to talk about Mad Max Fury Road. I am very excited for this week. It's a very good week, and it's very good to have you back. Last time you were here, there were pigs everywhere, and it was a bit of a sty. (laughs) (laughs) We're a bit more open air this time around, so it's easier to breathe. I'm not so sure it's easier to breathe (laughs) this week. And 40% less mullets than in the other one. I think it's six in one, half dozen in another. (laughs) Are there any mullets in this movie? None that I can think of. Most people have like shaved heads. Yeah. Joe has a very specific aesthetic when it comes to his minions. Mm -hmm. Do you think the organic mechanic qualified as a mullet? Oh, I don't know what he qualifies as because he's (laughs) snipped short everywhere. But he had long hair, and it was mostly in the back. He's definitely the closest. Like, if we had to go on, like, a sliding mullet scale, (laughs) he's definitely more on the mullet side than the nice long hair side. (laughs) I think there's a distinct lack of hair in this movie. Yeah. Except for the wives, I suppose. Yeah. Hair and water, yeah. Thankfully, none of them are sporting mullets. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into these minutes proper... We've been mentioning a lot this season that both Fury Road and Star Wars The Force Awakens came out in the same year. I know that both of us are bound to be a bit, I'd say, biased one way or the other as far as which was the superior movie. But Alex, you've already gone through all of The Force Awakens. You've analyzed it one minute at a time. And we Mm -hmm. are here at the tail end wrapping it up. What is your opinion of the two movies? Which one do you prefer? I think Mad Max uh, is the superior movie. I really? Think it's, oh, yeah. I think it's the, not that it's a weakness, but the the lack of originality in the in the Force Awakens, you know, the fact that they kind of repurpose a lot of the same kind of roles and it's this whole, you know, everything repeats and things like that. And, you know, that just makes it kind of less exciting. This Mad Max movie, I had no idea what was going to happen. You know, I didn't know who was going to live. I didn't know who was going to die. It just seemed like much, uh, you know. It was much just so much visually, of course. It's a it's a you know gorgeous movie. Whereas Force Awakens, there's some good stuff in it, but not like the not like the art direction of this movie. So points to uh, and the funny thing is when I first saw it, it, I didn't even like it. I was like, yeah, that was okay. But uh, then when I saw it on home video, the that maybe I just saw it on an underlit screen. That seems to be a frequent problem. But mm. it really popped on home video, and I was like, oh my gosh, this movie is like awesome. So well, that is very gratifying to hear. We all we are ready for a fight. I can take the opposite <laughs> position if you want me to. <laughs> I mean, I half expected you to say, "Oh well, my heart belongs to Star Wars," but no, I'm I'm tickled. 
<laughs> well, that's something I appreciate about the Star Wars guys is that they know their movies well enough to know the flaws. Yeah. Well, yeah. After one minute at a time, you can't help but uh, you can't help but see them. But uh, uh, yeah, no. It's just I, I guess Mad Max that that movie was not nostalgic, even though it is an old character. It wasn't a nostalgia-driven movie that had nothing really to do with. Oh, look, that's the guy from Road Warrior. Oh, look, that's the guy from this. Whereas. You know, The Force Awakens was so burdened by the history of Star Wars that it, you know, couldn't help but feel a bit more, uh, you know, claustrophobic. It had so much to live up to, whereas I agree Fury Road was a little freer to do whatever it wanted to do. Yeah, which is funny considering that it it had been longer since a Mad Max movie had come out. So you think there would have been more expectations, but... uh, You know, I'm trying to remember back to before the movie came out... If I had expectations, I grew up on Thunderdome, so Mm -hmm. I was plenty familiar with Max and at least that portion of his saga and the general idea of what was going on with him. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I can't remember having expectations about Fury Road, which I think is a good thing. Oh, totally. I think our modern day cinematic experiences are, I think tainted is a good word by our expectations. Yeah. The whole advertising rigmarole that we have to go through as viewers where the first trailer that we see is a year and a half out from the actual movie's release. And so it's nothing but a constant chugging of the hype train. And you could argue that they laid in thick with the action and excitement in the advertising for this movie. But they didn't necessarily spend all that much time saying, oh, it's going to be exactly like this. It's going to be exactly like that. They did hold a lot of things back in the ads. Mm-hmm. In the cinematic world, I feel like we've now like hit a point where, okay, things are different now. After Endgame, everything has changed. There is so much expectation on that opening weekend. We were noting the other day that Toy Story 4 underperformed. Mm-hmm. How on earth did Toy Story 4 not do well on its opening weekend? It's because it was being compared to Avengers Endgame. So things just keep getting bigger and bigger and more people going to the theater and just more, more, more. And it's really hard to come back from that. Yeah. So I guess we should look fondly back to 2015, to Fury Road. (laughs) A simpler time, four years ago. (laughs) Where we just got to go see a movie. I think it probably also, to me, it might have had a a bit of an advantage uh, in terms of low expectations or no expectations because I feel like it easily could have been one of those other kind of cash-in movies like Clash of the Titans or, you know, where they're just kind of take an old property from, you know, from the past and just kind of give it a, you know, make it a darker, grittier thing and it's, you know, terrible. But, uh, you know, this one, it, it did modernize it, but it also obviously was very creative and, and you know, yeah. Like if, if if there had been a Mad Max reboot and it had come out and it flopped and then disappeared, you know, that's what this movie f- felt like it could have been if, if you weren't paying attention, I guess, which I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of paying attention, mm-hmm. as we kick off minute 106 right here, the DAG is pressing her hand against the windshield of the rig because she is paying her last farewells to the Keeper of the Seeds. And as we cut into the rig, roughly approximating the Dag's point of view, 
we see the keeper of the seats and she has definitely officially passed at this point she is now officially dead because i think leading up to this point she was just kind of slipping and now she's just completely gone and i love that she has this look of contentment on her face she's leaned up against the frame of the doorway and i get the sense that as she was slipping away, she had this little smile on her face because she knew that she had handed things off to the next generation. Yeah, I could see that. Do you think that the Keeper of the Seeds, knowing that she is an old woman, knowing that her chances of surviving this ordeal were hmm, limited, that she chose the Dag to form a connection with so that the Dag would take the seeds? Do you think this was all a setup? The whole thing, all a setup. I'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember enough of the details earlier from the movie, but uh, so I'll have to defer to you guys in terms of that conspiracy theory. Yeah, I think from the point in time where the wives and the Vuvulini first met, the keeper of the seeds gravitated to the dag and was there inspecting her teeth and hanging out fairly close to her. I think she recognized something in the dag that this is a person who I could take under my wing, so to speak. Yeah. And it wasn't until after the Keeper found out that the Dag was pregnant that she showed her the seeds. Mm. So perhaps that finalized in the Keeper's mind that this is a woman who has a motivation to live, motivation to survive in a healthy way so that she can bring her child into the world, that she will always strive to have enough to eat and have enough water that she can be trusted. Yeah. And instill her with a sense of hope for the future. Because mm -hmm. isn't that what gardening is all about? You plant a seed, you tend it in the hopes that something will sprout and grow? I guess so. I'm not really sure. I do not have a green thumb. I wish I did. <laughs> I hope to someday be able to master keeping a plant alive. But I'm working on keeping my succulent alive on the kitchen windowsill. And that's, I do what I can. Alex, how are you as a gardener? Uh, I used to be better. Weirdly, uh, <laughs> oh, no. I used to live in New York City on the 45th floor of a building. So I was like, oh, I need some like greenery around me. So I got a bunch of plants that I kept in my studio and would water them and tend to them and so on. And uh, we recently moved to Portland and I got some new pl house plants, but I totally neglect them now because there's so much greenery in Portland that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys, you're just some little things you know why would i look at you when i can go outside and there's so much greenery so i, I think maybe i should give them to someone because they're they're sadly neglected now <laughs> if anyone wants some some house plants in portland yeah, give me a call <laughs> i wonder if that would help my ability to grow things if i <laughs> weren't surrounded by trees all the time you i guess you know like in fury road you definitely appreciate it more if there's if there's you know only a little bit of greenery around you so there might be something to that i think so I appreciate you wanting to become a better gardener, but I don't necessarily want to move somewhere arid. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. not even do I. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we're agreed on that, at least. I like living in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry, the aridness will come to you eventually. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it comes to all of us, I think. Especially if this movie proves more prophetic than fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the dag... Starts moving towards the gig horse. She's going to leave the rig behind. And that leaves Nux and Capable still here in the war rig. And Nux is behind the wheel. He can't exactly jam the throttle down just yet because they're not close enough to the pass. Like, they're nearing it, 
but they're not quite at it. And so he reassures Capable, when you're across safe and on the Giga Horse, then I will jam the throttle and I will follow you. And he doesn't want to risk her life by having her climb out on the hood with no one behind the wheel. Makes sense. It's a nice idea. It's a very nice idea. And it would be a real shame if uh, someone were to wake up and throw a wrench in that. <laughs> and we also see in the following few seconds, there are still curves in the road. Right. Someone's got to pay attention. Exactly. The last thing you want is to be out there on the hood with nothing to hold on to except for these engines, which are probably really hot, and then have a curve thing up. So you got to like dive back and try and grab the steering wheel and it just be this whole gymnastic performance that, I mean, we're all tired at this point. It's been a long <laughs> several weeks going through this action scene. I'm not tired. I'll, uh, I'll do the heavy lifting. <laughs> you know who else isn't tired? Rictus who is waking up from this nice little cat nap that he was taking Mm -hmm. after getting bashed in the face by Max with his air tanks. And I love how he wakes up maybe a little confused, but very quick that he needs to act. You can see it in his face. He's like, I need to be doing something right now. What is it? Oh, yeah. Wives. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think this minute and Wednesday's minute as well, Rictus takes a bit of a vicious turn. Up till now, he's... And I suppose we've treated him like a big kid when he was playing with the flamethrower. We treated him like he was playing with the flamethrower. Like he didn't know what he was doing. He was just having fun. And we've kind of treated him like that childlike throughout this whole movie. And today and Wednesday, he turns vicious and it's frightening. It's very scary. I uh, I love that scene of him hulking out and and lifting the thing above his head. That was very... Uh, the the engine block or whatever that thing was. That was very comic booky kind of. You could almost see it as a comic book panel when he was holding it above his head yelling. It was nice. Oh, definitely. I love the idea of a comic book panel. That's gorgeous. With all the flames. Mm -hmm. But before he gets to that point, the way he scrambles up over the top of the war rig, it's almost alien as if he's some sort of human hound hybrid because he gets up on top there and capable is at the end of the war rig trying to climb up into the Giga Horse, and he has targets in his eyes. He's like, oh, he's not going to let them get away. And if not for Nux slamming on the brakes to split them up, he would have gotten onto the Giga Horse. And at that point, it would have been very bad for everyone involved. <laughs> That's really be a different ending. <laughs> yeah. So Nux slams on the brakes, which almost throws Rictus off the hood of the rig. Like, we're so close to things working out a lot better. Mm. But it doesn't. He holds on, because of course he does. And then Nux follows that up with hitting the gas again. Why did he put the gas on again? Was he just trying to keep him from getting his balance, you know, as he tried to get up, if he just kept changing speeds? I like that idea. Like speeding up to prepare to slam on the brakes again. Or, yeah, just as he's getting up, if you speed up, he'll fall backwards and then yeah. stop. Or, you know, you just keep... Like trying to know. shake him off the yeah, front exactly. of the rig. Yeah, if he's thinking that much about it. A rig that big, <laughs> you can't exactly swerve back and forth quick enough to jostle Rictus off one way or the other, because... Not without flipping the rig. Exactly, you'd throw yourself <laughs> off balance. You'd hurt yourself more than him. Well, you could argue that rolling the entire rig and dropping it in on top of him would ne- definitely hurt him, but they don't want to drop it yet. <laughs> I half wondered if Nux was speeding up because he was still under the impression 
that he'd be able to jam the accelerator and get out of the war rig. Do you think he's still operating under that idea, or do you think he's already given up, there's no way I'm getting out? That's a tough question. Hmm. There is a moment between the very end of today's minute and the beginning of Wednesday's minute, there's a moment where he knows he's not getting out. But exactly when that moment is, is not very clear. Yeah, maybe he's still at hope at that point. He's a hopeful kind of guy. Yeah, he just barely discovered the concept of hope, and so he's holding on to it as tightly as he can. He's hooked. (laughs) Hooked on hope. (laughs) Poor fool. We mentioned earlier that Rictus tears this engine in half, and he does that right around second 49. It's Nux's POV, he's looking through the windshield, and Rictus leans down, grabs the top portion of this engine, and he just wrestles it back and forth a little bit, and then he rips it up and off of the engine block. And as awesome as this looks, there's no way, unless Rictus was literally the Incredible Hulk, that he'd be able to do this. Because it's too heavy or because it's too firmly attached? Uh, It's a little six of one, half dozen of the other. I think both, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But seriously, this is the entire engine block? It's just... Just the engine. It's just the top portion that the blowers are attached to. I think it's just the supercharger. Okay. Well, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> like, that seems a little bit more reasonable. I thought it was the actual engine. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't care how much he's hulking out. He's not pulling that thing out and lifting it over his head. But if it's just the supercharger portion, I'm good with that. Mm. Not that I know how much that weighs either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex Robinson for the defense. Um... <laughs> I, uh, first of all, this, my client was severely hulked out on who knows what kind of drugs and, you know, growth hormones and everything. And uh, also adrenaline going because he just woke up from a nice nap. And uh, also because this is Mad Max world, the truck's probably not like the most solidly built thing in the world anyway. It's probably all just, you know, held together by, you know, duct tape and, 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 uh, some other thing. (laughs) I think rusty bolts would be the saving grace of this action. If the connections that go down through these two components aren't necessarily completely steel anymore, if they have oxidized to the point where they will hold together, but not under intense stress, then I could see it happening. Although it is a very dry environment, so then rusting would be... Limited. Right. I just realized something. Earlier in this movie, the wives were using mother's milk to cool off the engines, pouring it over the air intakes and letting it trickle down. What if the mother's milk had gone so bad (laughs) that it turned corrosive? (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I don't think milk can actually do that, (laughs) but in this world, I would dare say it can. I like that you had to turn milk into a corrosive acid. Like, that was more believable <laughs> than this guy just pulling this guy, <laughs> lifting this thing over his head. Since they poured the mother's milk over the engine, it's been at least a day and a half. Because they were pouring mother's milk over it, I think, just past the bog. They had just gotten out of the bog. Max had taken care of the bullet farmer. And they were cooling things off. And then it had all the rest of that night all of the day before they found the Vuvulini, and then all of the night and most of the day for today to work at it. So, I mean, stranger things have happened. Max changed his face between movies. 
<laughs> Alex, you brought up the subject of drugs and growth hormones, which mm-hmm. we have not explored Rictus's physique mm-hmm. as of yet. Wow, you made it this far? Of course, we've mentioned it, but we've always kind of skimmed over how he got that way. Mm-hmm. Especially considering he seems to have some sort of respiratory limitations. Oh, is that how you interpret it? I interpret that as like, uh, does, I thought it was like a uh, a boost for him. Do you think it's more of like a dependence? I don't remember, like I said, I remember a lot of the early details. Did they show that? Not explicitly. We've surmised a lot about what he's breathing and what's in the tank, the whole tank situation. I got it. We've surmised a lot. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be a hereditary element to the respiratory issues. Both Joe and Corpus have very clear respiratory issues. So we just kind of assumed, based on this apparatus that Rictus is wearing, that he also has respiratory issues. But that being said, someone with respiratory issues is going to have a hard time bulking up like this. So I like the idea of him being on drugs and hormones and steroids to get him there. Well, and that could also be for the other guys, too. Joe certainly would need some kind of boost because he seems like he's a walking, you know, mess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love the idea of Joe and Rictus and anyone else, for that matter, being under the influence of some sort of inhaled enhancer, because that would lend credence to the idea that there is more in that chrome spray than just paint, that there is something that would let you... I would say ignore pain, like not eliminate it, but just ignore it enough to hulk your way through a situation. Yes, I think the more we talked about the chrome paint, the more it became clear that they were getting high. Mm -hmm. So if they use drugs to facilitate this glorious death ritual that is expected of the war boys, why wouldn't the upper echelon of the leadership also be on stuff? It kind of just makes sense. Well, especially in such a Darwinian environment where everything comes down to physical strength and defending yourself. Any, anything that can give you an edge and give you, you know, there wouldn't be anti-drug people in the Mad Max world. Everyone would be like, whatever, <laughs> whatever thing I can, you know, you're not going to live to be 40 years old. You're not worried about the long-term consequences of doing uh, drugs. There's definitely not anybody in the wasteland with a frying pan and an egg saying, oh, this is your brain. And then they smash the egg and they're like, this is your brain on drugs. And then everybody else is like, why did you waste that perfectly good egg we could have eaten today? (laughs) That shows you how bad drugs are. (laughs) Drugs, they'll make you waste an egg. (laughs) Probably the worst side effect in a (laughs) post-apocalypse. I should be glad that Fury Road didn't try to make us think that every day modern drugs are still a thing. I think about Waterworld sometimes, where one of the major elements of Waterworld is the fact that they still have cigarettes, and the people who make up the smokers group, they love smoking cigarettes. And it's like, however many decades after the entire Earth's floods, where are they going to find all these cigarettes? It makes zero sense in a movie that arguably makes very little sense to begin with, but I love that they didn't go that route here in Fury Road. Hmm. Yeah, I like that it's clear, specifically with the chrome paint, that drugs are involved, and if you're paying attention, you surmise, like we do, that there are more drugs involved. It's just not really part of the plot. Yeah. It's not really that important. 
I mean, it's the whole doesn't Max isn't Max himself kind of turned into drugs when they use his blood for for stuff? Yeah, that high octane crazy blood filling up their <laughs> war boys. Yeah, yeah, it makes me think they're adding something to the blood because blood doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, normal blood doesn't do that. But as we found out in the last movie, Max has magical fairy blood. This is true. It treats people different. That's why his face changes. It's the same thing with the milk, melting stuff. Yeah. Chemicals do all sorts of different stuff in this universe. Now, getting back to Rictus as he's holding this top part of the engine over his head. Like you said, Alex, it is an amazing image with the flames coming up around it. But we cut down into... Rictus's POV and we're looking down at Nux in the war rig and he is looking up with those baby blue eyes as if to be silently pleading please don't smash my face with the engine. (laughs) I love this shot because Nicholas Holt is an interesting actor someone who is a little bit unique in Hollywood in that he was a child actor and successfully transitioned to being a successful adult actor. So this point of view where we're looking down at him, he's looking up and his eyes are big and wide. He has a very, I think, simple expression on his face, expressing basic emotions like, please don't kill me, Mm -hmm. reminds me of him as a child. And specifically, the movie I'm thinking about is about a boy with Hugh Grant, and he's that little boy again. Yeah, about a war boy. About a war boy. (laughs) (laughs) I think it does a lot to emphasize that Rictus is the son of the warlord, and he's looking down at a child soldier. Mm-hmm. We mentioned earlier in the movie the relationship that Nux has to Finn as a character who grew up and was molded by a certain ideology, and then he turned against that ideology. And I really like how Fury Road wraps on Nux's story. And I'll talk about this a lot more in Wednesday's minute, but I just want to bring it up here before we (laughs) go and cut for today, that Nux changes a lot over the course of this movie. And it's nice to be reminded here at the end that he is just a lad. He's not a grizzled old man like Immortan Joe. He's not jaded like Max was. He is an idealistic kid. There's something innocent about him. Yeah, yeah. Like, he just learned what hope was yesterday. Yeah. And a tree the day before. Yeah. What an action-packed day for him. Yeah. He does a huge flip over the three days this movie takes place in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure does. But we'll have to wait and talk more about that on Wednesday. But in the meantime, Alex, where can people find more of you? What would you like to plug today? Well, I am the co-host of a podcast called Star Wars Minute, which is kind of like what you guys do, but we do it about Star Wars movies. Uh, As you mentioned, we did Force Awakens. We were doing them all in release order, so we've done, oh my gosh, seven seasons so far? Is that right? And if Disney has anything to say about it, you'll be doing it for the rest of all time. (laughs) Well, actually, it's funny because because if Disney sticks to their plan, uh, their announced movie schedule, we will actually officially run out of movies in uh, 2024, I think. Oh! (laughs) So uh, that we will have been, we will have caught up to the, to the, uh, to the current movie. So, um, so we'll have to see, we'll have to figure out what we do. Maybe we'll start over then. So there's hope on the horizon. Yes. A new hope, if you will. (laughs) A new, new hope. Has that ever been something that genuinely crosses your mind, starting over? And how you would do it, I don't know, different with a new set of eyes? 
when we started it, we were just kind of doing it as a goof and, and each episode was like 10 minutes long. And, and uh, when I look back at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, we totally wasted the best movie with like the worst episodes. <laughs> you know, like, you know, now we're, we're friends with a lot more like, you know, cool people we could have on the show and stuff. And uh, so, uh, you know, we float the idea from time to time, but there's always a new, you know, movie coming out. So we don't want to, we'd rather do new stuff than double back sometime, mostly. <laughs> That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. I think kind of the same with us. We were just so new at it and I didn't know the genre at all Yeah, when we first started. So sometimes it is a little bit tempting to start over. <laughs> I mean, not, not that tempting. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a movie you really want to do, then pick another movie, do that one first. So you work out all the, uh, all the, you know, your, your pattern and stuff and then do the movie you really like once you have your skills and your, uh, you're, you're mature. Good advice. I agree. <laughs> As for us, we will be coming back on Wednesday when Nux says goodbye, the Giga Horse escapes, and the War Rig gives us the most spectacular crash in the Mad Max series. Arguably. It's at least one of them. <laughs> The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 106 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>